Welcome to our podcast, Wise Black Nana's Life Coaching Between the Dash. Hey, what do you do when it feels like life has thrown you a few too many challenges, knocked you down, in the bed, hard to talk about even with your best friend challenges, and it feels like the challenges are winning? Wouldn't it be nice to hear from your Nana or a stand-in Wise Black Nana? Well, they are Wise Black Nana's. Charlotte Walker, PhD, and Joanne Early, MS, two mature women with over 70 plus years of combined coaching and mentoring, professional human resources, and business experience. The wonderful news is these wise black nanas are still living and learning about this amazing life, about resilience and grit, gratitude and appreciation, and the extraordinary power of love and friendships, being positive and supportive, and learning from others. Welcome to Wise Black Nanas. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Dr. Charlotte Walker, and welcome to the Wise Black Nana's Life Coaching Podcast. Today's session, we're going to be talking about stigmas. Hello, and I am Joanne Early. On our last program, we talked some about decision-making, how we came to even be making a podcast. We think uh, one of the biggest roadblocks or barriers to making decisions and getting unstuck and moving forward or had just getting on with life is stigma. Stigma feel, feeds on guilt, shame, fear, the past. Stigma is just one of those kind of things you can't, you know, intangible things, something you can't see, feel, or physically feel it. But although, um, you know, the impacts, that's what we can see, feel, and touch. And we see, feel, and touch those in our actions, our inactions. God, sometimes my health um, and just our ability to function at 100% mentally and physically. So that's what we're going to be talking about in this session. And we're so glad that stigma, stigma, pardon me, is being talked about, you know, more openly today than ever before. Even though stigma is not a new topic or a new word, it's almost like it's something that's just been discovered. It's a huge topic with a lot of moving parts. We kind of think that the recent focus and attention um, that's been given and paid to this whole, all the issues around wellness and well-being, and just trying to open up and address the many issues and challenges um, with mental and behavioral health, we think that that's why stigma has become a topic and it's being discussed in a lot of ways. And I guess we have to give old COVID-19 a lot of credit for that because that opened up a lot of discussions about mental and behavioral health. Now, back in the day, (laughs) whatever that back in the day is for you, many of us had never heard the word stigma and certainly did not know its meaning or how it could have an impact on us and on our everyday lives. Wow. Uh, What is stigma? I mean, it sounds like a strange word, but I've done a little research on and got a definition. And a simple definition of stigma is a set of negative and unfair beliefs that a society or a group of people have about something. That could be your social status, being poor, being black, an immigrant, uh, LBGT plus, physical appearance, skin color, hair type, and on and on and on. 
And also I found another definition that is similar, but just a little bit different I wanted to share as well. Stigma is a mark of dis disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. That could be the stigma of someone who may have done something wrong and gone to prison and ashamed to not let others know that. It could be about getting a divorce. I know something about that. Uh, addicted to alcohol or substance misuse. Uh, and there's also a stigma that could be associated with being a single mom or homeless. Yep. So pl plenty of things to think about there on those definitions. Although a little bit different, they really are saying the same thing. Uh, in our society, there is, and this is based on some research that we've done, there are three types of stigmas in every aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. One is the systematic stigma there's the social stigma and also the cultural stigmas and that has to do with labels historic standings racism gender ethnicity as an example mental health particularly in the black community is something that um is not something that is openly done people going to therapy so um the stigma of someone says that oh they have a mental disorder or they're special or they're strange that is a gender that is a stigma that has been given to them okay mm -hmm. the effects of can be that stigma can cause us to have fear guilt secretiveness substance misuse internal conflict isolation self doubt lack of confidence, or poor image. Consider this as well. Stigma is about the past or a past event. That internal tape rain over and over in your head. You hear the voice, replay the event, feel the shame, self-doubt all over again. It is like a weight of guilt and shame that you carry within you, becoming a barrier to moving forward and making decisions. Something for you to consider. Can you have stigma about a future event or situation that has not occurred yet? That's just something that we want the wise black nanas would like for you to ponder on. Wise Black Nanas would like to share with you an example of how social and cultural stigma had an impact on one Black woman's life and lived experience. Thank you, Dr. Charlotte. So I'm going to share with you a very personal uh, story of a situation that uh, occurred that affected the life of me and my family. Um, and it's still to some degree uh, present uh, in our current lives today. Um, this is kind of one of those things, certainly as I think back and as I was preparing uh, for this program, um, I kept thinking, gosh, I wish I knew then what I know now. It's just kind of one of those kinds of things. So let me set the stage a little bit, set the time frame. Uh, the period was 1979 to 80-ish. 
And just to let you know what was going on in the world at that time, the Sony Walkman had just been released. There was no internet or Apple, Google, cell phones. Uh, Post-it notes had just gone on sale. John Lennon of the Beatles had just been shot in New York City. Margaret Thatcher had just been elected Prime Minister of Great Britain. And CNN Broadcasting Network had just been launched. So let's just give you a sense of um, what that time period was. Um, I think one of the most dreaded words in any relationship spoken by your husband, your wife, your partner, significant other, or whoever, is there's something I need to tell you. I need to start being honest with myself. I'm bisexual. I'm gay. We were married, had just bought our second home, bigger house out in the suburbs. We were the up-and-coming Black professional family. Our careers were growing. We had the two kids, two cars, and a dog. Gay coming out, especially in a Black married family, was just unheard of. At least I didn't know of anybody else. My point is that this had happened in a very different time and cultural landscape. After uh, my husband's announcement of being gay, I don't think I heard anything uh, much else after that point. I'm sure there was some other conversation, but I don't really remember what it was. All I could think about was my kids. What would I tell them? I was a young working mother. What would I tell my coworkers, my friends, other couples that we had socialized with and we were good friends with? What would I tell them? What would they think and say? My family, oh my God, my family lived in the South. What the hell was I going to tell them? What would they think about me and what would they say? You see, I had that marriage that didn't exist much in the rest of my family. We, you know, had been married for uh, well over 10 years, uh, 10, 11 years. Uh, We were on the way to having our American dream, good jobs, uh, good future ahead of us. At least at that time, it thought, you know, that's what we thought. But I was in a marriage that had been a lie. So many questions that I just could not answer. All the doubt, the feeling, shame, especially fear, just those thoughts running around and around in my head all the time. I, God, I guess I hadn't been enough. I didn't know how to keep my quote man happy. I had done something wrong because I was married to someone that was gay. And I guess I was just too something, even though I didn't know what that something was. I don't know how I didn't go stock raving, mad, and crazy, as my mother used to say, because I couldn't tell anybody about this. I couldn't even say those words aloud myself. What did that make me? I mean, seriously, I thought all these things and more. So I felt an enormous weight of shame, guilt, and fear just bearing down on, on, on me. I pitied myself, my kids. I didn't know that I was, I didn't, I just knew that I was the only person, you know, that was going through something like this because I didn't know nobody else. Uh, and I certainly couldn't go to online and Google it or, or try to feel like I could, you know, get some help from someone. All that I knew was that I was now living in a situation that was very taboo. 
topic to talk about in the Black community. We just didn't talk about <laughs> anything like this. We just didn't. Of course, to my very supportive friends, they were all serious. Why were we getting a divorce? Why were we separated? And they weren't inquiring. But in my mind, I just knew that I was their main topic of many discussions. And I probably wasn't. I just didn't know how to share my situation. I didn't know how to ask for their help and support. And I was so afraid of what they would think about me. So I just pretended. I just pretended that, you know, it was uh, another woman, which I could talk about, but I just couldn't answer those questions about him being with another man. I didn't know how to do that. So I just kept turning over the shame, the guilt, the fear of somebody knowing, and that's the world I was living in for a long time. It affected every phase of my life. I withdrew. I cut off my friendships. I stopped accepting a lot of calls from my friends. I just basically kind of cut myself off from a great support system that I had when I needed it the most. I isolated myself and my kids. They didn't know what was happening, but I was practicing that old Black myth and stigma of Black people's business stays in the Black person's house. So I don't even know how I kept my job or took really good care of my kids. I think I just put on a, quote, face, you know, stood up straight. And in isolation, I suffered in silence. And all my thoughts just consumed with what kept me. I felt like I was paralyzed at the time. And when I went out that door, you know, when I went out that door, I somehow got to work, got my kids to school, and just pretended that I was fine? Or was it maybe my grandmother's voice that I could hear as she was telling me, hold your head up high, girl. You don't want to, you don't have to let everybody know everything that's happening in your business. People just want something to talk about. And you might, or you might just want their husband now that you're single. I don't know what it was. I don't know what was happening. I didn't know what was happening at the time, but all of that stuff was playing in my head. So anyway, after staying in my head and addressing the stigma of getting some professional help, because, you know, that's another Black community's myth, is that we somehow just didn't embrace therapy. It's better now, but back during that time, that was almost unheard of. How could we go talking to a stranger about our problems? And as a Black woman, I should just figure it out. You know, I should figure out how to deal with it because I had dealt with so much more in my life and others had so much more to deal with. So finally, I finally reached out, sought, and got some professional help. I was encouraged to accept and ask for the help from my friends. I was taught how to talk out aloud and appreciate the situation for what it was, to focus more outward instead of turning everything inward. I found a support group that was very helpful to me and my children, helped me deal with the situation, you know, kind of in a way um, that I just didn't know how to talk to them about their dad not being in the house and why and how we could handle that and how we could go on with our lives. Just remember the time period. There just was not a lot of help out there. So I gradually opened up 
sharing my story, my fears, spoke the words out aloud. I shared my feelings and my story with my friends. I got help again in dealing with what really was not mine totally to own and learned how to deal with that. I learned how to start setting goals for myself, how to start looking beyond what I knew and looking at the possibilities. I accepted a job in San Francisco. I relocated my household, set and met uh, personal and professional goals that I'm sure I never would have accomplished. I'm not saying that this was an easy situation then, and it's not an easy situation to deal with now, and that there was no and is no quick fix. Um, it's just not when, um, uh, as there is, you know, when you're dealing with a very complex life-altering situation like that. When I consider the time, I do think stigma played a huge part in me being just stuck, as I said, paralyzed um, by shame, guilt, and fear. I, it just kept me from getting help sooner. And even when I started to get the help, it took me a while to accept the help that I was offered. So I shared this very personal piece of my life with you uh, in this podcast. It really is about sharing our experiences in the hope that somebody hears something that helps you move forward, whether it is a similar situation or some other very complex situation that you're dealing with. You know, as I look back now, as I often have, I believe that much of what I experienced was due to my own internal turning things into my myself, uh, being in constant judgment of myself. Um, uh, I'm sorry, me being in constant judgment of myself. Um, just pulling in everything that I can internalize instead of letting it go and me taking control, uh, therefore being able to control myself. But it takes time. It takes patience. It takes belief in yourself. It takes focusing on your own strengths, setting and keeping goals, and allowing yourself that it's okay to take small steps. It's okay to get the help I need. And most importantly, doing everything that you can to turn off that internal voice playing over and over and over again and try to rechannel that energy into a more positive space. So I hope my sharing this experience, like I said, helps somebody that might be going through a similar situation or maybe you have a friend that's going through a similar situation. Um, because I tell you, the thing that helped me the most, I think, was to start doing something, was to start taking some action instead of um, just being continually weighed down by the situation. So again, I, I think a lot of it was self-imposed stigma, you know, based on a lot of uh, my cu cultural and social upbringing. So um, um, over or back to Dr. Sharla to tell us a little bit more about self-imposed stigma. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joanne, for sharing that, that really uh, lived experience. Uh, we realized that 
you know, it's a lot to unpack and it's even a lot to discuss in such a short program. However, I was just wondering, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions and and your lived experience and you can share that with our audience. Looking back, what do you think kept you from moving forward? Well, like I said um, earlier, I I really think it was it was all the stuff in my head. I I think it was that, like I said, I call it a tape recorder or a recording that just tells you calls over and over again. You know that um, okay, you know you should have known, or uh, there's something that you should have done differently, or. Uh, what are people saying? What um, uh, what are they going to think? How are they going to look at you? Are they going to look at you differently? I, I just think all of that stuff, just replaying it over and over and over again, just really had me, I, I think I felt like I was paralyzed, uh, both mentally and physically for such a, for such a long time. I, I just think it's what I was um, um um, dealing with my dealing with internally dealing with myself it was my own internal message wow thank you um only thinking about you what do you think was the biggest learning and why wow okay so that one i've that one i've thought about a lot i think uh of course with some professional help i didn't just hit upon this myself I think the biggest learning for me was to, you know, kind of acknowledge the situation, really acknowledge, say it out loud, talk about it, really acknowledge the situation for, you know, for what it was. And to also acknowledge and appreciate that I didn't really have total control, you know, over, I certainly didn't have any control over uh, who he was. Um, and no control over the decision or the timing or anything that brought about the whole situation. I think the biggest learning really for, for me was what what are the things I do have control over? What are the things I can do? What are the things that's really just about me? And those are the things that I drew strength from, that I learned to be grateful for what I could do. The fact that, you know, I had two healthy children um, while they were young and while there were a lot of things that they did not understand. I had a means of support. I had a great job. I had health care for my family. I had the means that we could, you know, live in a continue to live in a nice neighborhood. Um, So I had a lot to be thankful for. And I just had to open up my eyes and acknowledge that. And I think really that that helped me be able to move on, just showing gratitude for the things I had and then uh, allowing myself to, you know, just kind of acknowledge, okay, this is this is it. This is what I have to deal with. Now, how can I move? How can I move forward? But that that wasn't easy to, to get to that point. It's just it's not an easy thing. Uh-oh. Oh, you show such great self-awareness. And, and power and strength. Uh, so thank you for sharing that story with us. Joanne mentioned briefly about uh, self-imposed stigma. So we're going to talk a little bit about about that. And self-imposed stigma specifically 
are things or tasks or circumstances that we self-impose of oneself. It's not by external forces. It is truly something that we do internally. So let's talk a little bit about some of these self-imposed stigmas. Uh, some of them that you may find, uh, you've probably heard before, you might find humorous. However, there is an element of truth in each. Some are cultural, long generational self-suffering. Those examples would be handle your business, keep your business to your own self and in your own house. Black women resilience, myth of good hair. <laughs> As my grandmother said, my grandmother said, uh, <laughs> any hair is good when you can manage it. So um, that, that that will tickle your fancy a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have what to, you know what, uh, Dr. Cheryl, I want to yeah. just jump in here right now and say, when we were kids, I had two sisters. We were kids. We had the just the courses just I mean just too much hair really we probably needed haircuts and um my my mother just had a time you know kind of uh you know getting our hair ready to go to school or church or wherever we were going and so my grandmother just always would take a look and and you know because my mother would say I don't know why my kids don't have good hair and my <laughs> mother would, would say that very thing she would say hey once your hair is manageable it's all good so. <laughs> yeah I think we've all in, in the black culture has experienced some some hair uh, things with, <laughs> with mother grandmother and great grandmother you know right. um, <laughs> so that's where the cultural aspect comes in you know <laughs> so what stigma has you under its control. I'm going to talk a little bit about some self-imposed stigmas that you might relate to, or this might make you a little bit more familiar with some. This is not all of them. This is just a few. It would be a very long show if I went through everything. So these are self-imposed and they create that dialogue internally that goes over and over and as Joanne mentioned, that tape that goes over and over in your head and kind of prevents you from clear thought. So what about when someone says, how are you to a Black woman? And we always say, fine. But there's so much more behind that fine. So really what the F means or what the word means is that I'm fucked up, I'm insecure, I'm exhausted, and I'm neurotic. I'm sorry, I said that in the wrong place. Let me say it again. I'm fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. That's really what is going on inside of us. But we always say that we're fine because that's what is kind of expected. And I want to give credit to uh, Louise Penny. She's a Canadian author who coined this acronym uh, in her writing. So we borrowed it. Uh, Black, Nan Black Wise Nanas borrowed it for this uh, podcast. I think if we especially focus on the exhausted, for generations, 
Black women are exhausted from having to take care of everyone, heading the household, making all the major family decisions, many times being mom and dad. So here's another one that um, self-imposed stigma that hmm, we may not be um, familiar with. And I thought of this because as Black women, we want to repair relationships, repair family. We want to fix everybody. So we become the Ford, like the Ford car, where we fix or repair daily our relationships, whether they're personal or professional. Yep. Okay. Um, There has to come a time when we burn down that repair shop. But I know for a lot, they're still doing their maintenance, (laughs) rotating those tires, (laughs) (laughs) whatever needs to be done, you know, to get that person right. And so, um, and, and I my short example is that, you know, when you're, you know, you're looking for relationships or you're looking for love and you think that when you find someone in church that they are going to be good, not necessarily so. So, Amen to that. <laughs> not necessarily so. Um, this was definitely um, a warranty uh, on this person that I could not ever fix because they had... Uh, a mistress called crack cocaine. So I could never compete with that or with her. So I had to let that go and divorce that situation. So here's one that we're very familiar with and it's SBW. And that is strong black women. I can do this. My face is on, uh, working for telecommunication. uh, We were, we would put our service rep voice on. And sometimes that meant when I was making a sale, my voice would not be ethnic. It would be more Caucasian in order to get the sale until I showed (laughs) up and it was a different situation. But, you know, we had to do what we had to do. Uh, We are, you know, as a strong Black woman, we are everything to everybody except ourselves. Trying to measure up to someone else's expectations whether it's from generations back or our own social circle or in work situations. Yep. um, Laura, we have lots of experience to share with you over these podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) And and one that may not come to mind is called, is the acronym is OE and that's overcate over educated. Um, Therefore, I think I'm better. I got to be better. I cannot let them see me break down, cry, throw things, show no weakness or emotion and display. And and we're talking about overeducation and when you're competing for jobs and people tell you that you're, you have too much education. Um a perfect example, I got laid off at one time in my, in my professional career, and I literally had to take off all my education except for my bachelor's degree on my resume to get a hit, to get a job. Wow. Yeah. 
And it's, and you know, people felt competitive. I didn't want your job. I wanted my job because I had bills. So that's just, you know, one thing to think about it. Mm-hmm. Joanne? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, I, I know we added a little bit of humor, you know, to kind of lighten things up a little bit. Um, but I tell you, if you had asked me on any given day when I was going through the situation that I described earlier, how I was doing, automatically, I would have uh, thrown my head back and said, I'm fine. And I was, or so I thought I was, you know, I but I wasn't because I certainly didn't know what the heck I was doing or how I was going to get through the next hour or the next day. I really should have answered, hey, I'm fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. That's that's really what I should have what I should have answered. But I tell you, interesting, uh, just some some things to think about, some things to think about. So, you know, as hard as it is to realize and act on at the time when a situation is happening, we we have and we can have control over stigma. It feels like we've got this conflict going on inside of our heads all the time while we're in the situation. But we really can do some things to, um, you know, to to deal with that. Um, something that we have observed, learned, or you know, applied in our own set of circumstances. You know, sometimes you just think about, gosh, what are some challenges or situations that I've overcome in the past? Think about what strengths you have that helped you get through that or that you've used before. I tell you, I think about all the things that I had been through as a child growing up in the segregated South, being very poor in a large family that was headed by um, a young mother and a many times married mother, you know, sometimes going to school without proper clothing and food. Well, I think, I think if I can live through all of that and still come out with a positive and grateful outlook, then I probably can deal with about almost anything. I certainly can live through this. Dr. Charlotte? We all have something that we deal with that is just this wonderful, wonderful thing called life. (laughs) We have to learn more about stigma so that we can control the internal tape the one that goes around and around and around, and we second-guess ourselves by listening to that tape. Because stigma can be controlled, we have the power to deal with it as a perception or reality. The perception can easily become reality. It is like self-fulfilling prophecy. If we do nothing to stifle and don't move through stigma, we Mm -hmm. inherit and grow the products of stigma. We continue the shame, guilt, secretiveness, lack of confidence, substance abuse, 
isolation, action paralysis. And this becomes our lives. That becomes a lens that we see our lives through. And this becomes our belief. Reality, no longer perception. Like I said, if I knew what I knew now, I would have been, who knows? Who knows? (laughs) But our message is that no, 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 stigma has no home here. Now, you know, let's be real. We know that there are certain stigmas that are going to be present in our lives due to racism, gender bias, ethnicity, that we all face and must deal with on a larger scale. So our focus during this program has been more on cultural and social stigma. And that really kind of affects how we go out into the world, how we deal with the beliefs and the practices based on systemic stigma. So we are able to you know, better prepare ourselves and we're better prepared to deal with this other Um, these other issues out there that's on a much grander and larger scale. So just how do we deal with our own stigma in addition to looking and recognizing what our strengths are, especially self-imposed stigma? We start with self. We start with self. What can I do differently? We ask and answer that question. Nobody has to know what your answers are. Nobody's going to look on your sheet of paper or in your notes on your tablet or whatever to see what you're writing down. But you can start now. Start today, right now. Do something, whether it's in small steps or whether it's a big step. Thinking different thoughts. That changes our beliefs. And that generates different actions. So let's start thinking more positive thoughts, filled with gratitude for what we can do and for the strengths that we do have. We have to name and own our strengths. They're yours. They're your very own accomplishments. They're the things that you've done well. Consider those things and just feel good about that. And then do more of those things. Keep getting those good feelings all over again. Gosh, set and achieve goals. There's so many goal-setting tools out there, and a lot of us are well familiar with them. SMART goals is just a really simple um, uh, goal-setting model that most of us know about. Google it, and it'll tell you. There's just these five steps, five things that you do. And then once you set those goals and start achieving them, celebrate even the smallest accomplishments because those small accomplishments, they lead to big accomplishments. You got to believe in yourself. Just take control and cut that internal tape off or at least quiet it. Lower the volume. Hey, self-help is not dead. And there's so many resources and valuable tools that's available right now online. If you still like to browse books or whatever, you can order up all kinds of stuff. I wish that had been available to me years ago. Practice self-care, you know, whatever that means to you. Awareness. Let's learn more about stigma, its causes, its effects, the impacts, 
And let's use the vast resources that are available to us to do that or to help that. Let's practice positiveness and gratitude. Everybody's got something to be thankful for. Hey, start a gratitude list. I was never really big on journaling, but I am a list person. So start a gratitude list and you will be amazed how how much you add to it and how many things you really have to be thankful for. Connect with your friends, your community, your family, your sister groups. Join a group if you're not in one already. Get that good sisterly love that we all need. Treat yourselves like we treat our friends. Because, you know, we are some really good, sisters are really good friends. Excuse me, good friends to each other. But let's start treating ourselves like we treat our friends and others that we care for. And get professional help. Don't let that voice tell us that, well, I don't go to counseling. I don't believe in therapy because therapy works. Now, you might have to search around until you find the right therapist, but get some help, get some coaching, get some professional help to help you out. Hey, let's use the health care that we're all paying for and that we have access to. Let's not let our EAPs and our um, mental health and behavioral health programs that are offered to us through our medical plans go to a waste. It's so much help, so much that we can do to help ourselves. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. I'm, I'm here to tell you, it's not easy. Is it worth it? And oh my goodness, an amazing yes, it is worth it. Absolutely, yes, it's worth it. Okay. Thank you all for listening to our podcast number two about stigma. We hope you had gained even one insight or heard something that inspires you to learn more about stigma and do something. It's about action. We know that this program is not for everybody, but it is a lot for somebody. Yes. And I'm going to just make one little correction to what Dr. Charlotte just said. We know this program is not for everybody and it is for a lot of somebodies. I tried not to always use but, so I like to substitute and for but. So one more thing we like to do uh, at the end of the program is leave you with a little something more to talk about some quote or some uh, comment from someone other than us. And we call these Nanaisms. So our Nanaism for today's podcast is from an author. His name is Lawrence J. Peter. And the Nanaism is his quote, there is no stigma attached to recognizing a bad decision in time to install a new one. I'm sorry, a better one. So there is no stigma attached to recognizing a bad decision in time to install a better one. So we want to thank you uh, uh, for tuning into our podcast number two. We want you to come back. So again, thank you. Take care. And please listen in to podcast number three, Strong Black Woman.
Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning into our podcast, Wise Black Nanas. New programs of Wise Black Nanas are on the 1st and 15th of each month. Listen in as you learn more about Wise Black Nanas, Dr. Sharla Walker and Joanne Early. They are everyday nanas. They are not famous, not celebrities or rich. Well, rich in life and its experiences. We want you to come back. Tell your friends. So look for Wise Black Nanas podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Learn more about them and the coaching services they offer at www.wiseblacknanas.com.